always with Michael Stevens from the Maple Leaf Hot Stove. And Michael, uh, I, I'm trying to think of if you're the problem here. Um, There's a very good chance of that. The, uh, well, I mean, not not to lay blame because you know we don't want to lay blame on this program. But it 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 you know maybe it's the end of the show where you say go Leafs go. At the I mean something has gone wrong clearly. Uh, we've been doing more shows lately. The Leafs have been struggling. But seriously, uh, uh, did you think it was going to reach this point? Because I mean, two or three games, four, even a four-game series. You know, losing four not not a huge deal. Not good at this time of year. But surely you weren't expecting a six-game um, sort of sidestep by the Leafs at this point. Sidestep is an incredibly diplomatic way of saying it. I, I wasn't expecting this. Although I have had a friend who the entirety of this season, no matter what's been happening, he said, how is this going to go bad? How is it going to go bad? Uh, so, I mean, I guess uh, I guess maybe that was what's, what's been bringing it down uh, in terms of uh, it had to be done in a dramatic way. Um, you know, a few years ago when the Leafs were getting, starting the season, you know, what, 0-7-1 or 0-4-9, these awful numbers, um, you know, you were saying... They've already put themselves out of a playoff spot by losing a lot early. It doesn't really matter when you lose. If you lose as many games as the Leafs have, and this six-game losing streak is part of it, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. I wasn't expecting it to play out exactly like this, um, but it has been a great way of hammering home just how much of a bubble team the Leafs have been this season and just how bolstered their record is being by Phil Kessel, by Jonathan Bernier, and by a great power play. Well, you know, maybe, maybe at this point they're going to say, okay, this is what we've been waiting for. Eight games to go. This is our season. And, you know, we are now hearing the usual brave talk out of the dressing room. You know, it's all on us. You know, we're fighting for our lives. We're hearing all the usual standard quotes. But it's true in hockey terms. Those things are true at this point. Certainly. Certainly. I mean, they basically have to run the table now. Eight games remaining. Probably need six wins. Listen, let's bring on our guest because he will be able to pri provide Michael some insight uh, into what uh, should be, uh, I don't want to overhype this, but what should be a pivotal Leaf Flyer matchup Friday night, which precedes another big game for the Leafs on, on Saturday. The Flyers have challenges of their own, uh, but let's bring on Bill Meltzer, who has, is a writer for not only Hockey Buzz, but NHL.com. Bill, first of all, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk flyers with you. And first, let me ask about the goaltender, Steve Mason. A lot of people, including a lot of smug-sounding Leaf fans over the past couple of years and earlier this year, were saying, ah, oh, the flyers got it all wrong. Mason can't stop a beach ball. Uh, you know, what is Holmgren doing, getting this guy, signing him to a contract? I'm not seeing Mason play every day. You see him all the time. Tell us about Steve Mason, because he was uh, a, a young wonder with the Jackets, then struggled badly for two years, and a lot of people thought he was done. Clearly, he's not done. Mason, uh, you know, he began turning things around, actually, with Columbus a little bit prior to the trade to Philadelphia, but Sergei Bobrovsky was playing so well by that point. You know, he, he had unseated Mason as the starter. Uh, you know, Mason has been nothing but a positive since since coming to Philadelphia. He had a little bit of a little bit of a rough spell in January, um, maybe a little in December as well. Uh, other than Club, Mason has easily been the the Flyers MVP this season. Uh, even better than his number look this year. He's been uh, he's stolen the team a lot of games. You know. Uh, he did let that goal last game against uh, the Rangers, but I, I you know. I could count the 10 bad goals he's allowed the entire season. He's been game in and game out. He's been very consistent. Um, his glove work, his standing, his work ethic. He's, you know, when he was when he was with Columbus, I think he had a little bit too much success too soon. You know, goaltenders tend to have a longer learning curve than position players. Mason came in at age 20, you know, which is very young for a goalie to break HL. Yes. He's only, I think, 25 now. You know, which is which is kind of the age when most goalies kind of figure it out anyway. You exactly. Know, unfortunately for him, his learning curve happened at the NHL level rather than the American League or you know elsewhere where he could kind of come along slowly. And it also happened after he had a lot of success early. And listen, he also played for some not so good teams in Columbus as as they were getting good last season. You know, he lost his job there. But 
Mason Mason has absolutely been one of the been one of the Flyers' strengths, and actually, uh, he's been one of the biggest reasons why after the Olympic break they've been on a nice run, at least to losing the last two. I was just going to say now, Philadelphia. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there have been some fine goaltenders there. I mean, I go back to the to the late '50s and '60s, and I remember the '70s with Bernie Perron, the Stanley Cup years, and all that. But but Philadelphia's been a bit of a goalie graveyard over the years, you know. And some good guys have gone there and not done terribly well. So is the hope that Mason can actually be because, as you say, he's in his goaltending prime. The next four or five years should be, you know, good years for him if he can continue to play well. Is that the hope within the organization? I think the organization thinks they, they've found a guy who can be their long-term answer. I do. Um, they brought in they brought in Ray Emery this year to, uh, you know, as, as a 1B option. But Mason is really the undisputed starter. If he can play to even a comparable level to how he, he's played this season on a sustained basis, he'll be the Flyers' number one goalie for a long time to come. Um, I mean, you're right. You're right that it's been a goaltending graveyard for a variety of reasons. They've had guys who've come in and have done well for a time, done well in the regular season. But if you remember Roman Chikmonic, he, yeah. uh, yep. you know, he, he yep. was, yeah, he was runner-up for the Vezina one year. He, uh, you know, he won the, the Bobby Clark Trophy as the uh, Flyers MVP two of his three years. But you know, he ran into issues in the playoffs, and he was a very unorthodox kind of goalie anyway. A lot of times you wondered how, how he would stop the puck, and the nights when he looked bad, he would look really bad. You know, Mason doesn't have those same kind of ups and downs that a Chekmonic type has, and he's not he's not unstable in the way that uh, a guy like Ilya Brzezgalov was. You know, he... So it was different. Oh, we just... So my, looks, I, looks like uh, we've just well, lost the yeah, build I was just going to say, well, and I think... I just noticed just before it happened, I think, you know, this is technology, right? And let's face it, we're doing this live. A lot of people hear this broadcast on, on I'm trying to think of a better term, more modern term than the replay, right? But that's basically it. So we're doing this Google Hangout live. So in Bill's case, you know, we did a test before he came on, but you sort of sensed there was the possibility that this could happen. So maybe he'll be able to rejoin the call, and if so, we'll we'll sort of pick it up from there. And anything can happen. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the big points that... Uh, Bill might have been dancing around a little bit. Is uh, it's a bit of a it's a testament to how much how many assets the Philadelphia Flyers have that they have been able to continually gut that team and get rid of. I mean Sergei Bobrovsky. If they just waited out one more year on Sergei Bobrovsky, they would have had a Vesna goaltender. And it's uh, I think that's a really amusing part of the whole entire you know what's interesting discussion. But you know what, Michael, I think that's a great point. But and here's the but. Uh, and I think Bill has just joined us. I was just going to say, Bill, before we come back to you, I was just going to make a point, Michael, to you. But maybe it wouldn't have happened in Philly for Bobrovsky. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, Michael, no, true, true. Michael was just making a good point, Bill, that you know, if the if the fly, as well as Mason has played, which I certainly concede, but if Bobrovsky, if they just waited a little longer, maybe it would have happened for him in Philly. And I was just saying to Michael, but who knows? Maybe not. Maybe Columbus was the place he needed to go to 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 you know get his head together and play really well. I don't know. I don't know how you feel. Well, yeah, I mean, my feelings on Bobrovsky are that uh, he had, you know, he, he had shown he had shown signs of, of potential, you know, particularly his rookie year. His rookie year, he came right over from the KHL, and he ran with the starting job for a while. Um, you know, really, it, it was very, I mean, it was a very odd thing, and I, you know, I'm not even going to go into the whole handling of him and Brian Boucher and... Michael Layton when they were playing musical goaltenders in the playoffs in 2011. But that offseason when the Flyers brought in Brzezgalov on that big contract, that was really the end of, of Bobrovsky in Philadelphia. It took another year beyond that. But, you know, at the point that the Flyers traded him, they didn't even know that amnesty was going to exist in the next CBA. I mean, that's something else to keep in mind also. Yes. Um, you know, they, they, sent him, they sent him to Columbus and... You know he's done. I mean he's done very well for him. What have happened here? I don't know. You know I think that uh, I think that I think it was a change of scenery was a good thing for him. I think that he that in Philadelphia he started to get a little bit frustrated and seeing himself blocked. And I think moving on to another team was a good thing for him. I, and I think that to finish the thought that I had when you know when when it dropped before, you know the one thing the one thing that Mason has, has brought to the Flyers I think has been a little bit underrated is he's he's very even keel. Um, he's matured a lot, and he's learned not to take, you know, not to get too high or too low, which 
if you're going to be a goalie in Philadelphia, is, is critical. You know, we're in a market like Toronto, of course, is even even more the same thing. You know, yeah, we you, have our own graveyard issues here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it, it's, and our own dumb trades. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Yes. Super ask. Leaf Nation needs to be reminded. Listen, I want one more. I want to jump in with one more, and then Michael will will hit you with some questions, Bill. But I want to ask about Craig Berube. The the season started, I mean, really horribly. I don't know that the Flyers could have started, you know, got off the the launching pad much worse in the 2013-14 season. And again, people were saying, oh, Giroux, what is this? Is he done already? Like he went from superstar to you can't put the puck in the ocean. They'd have no goaltending. You know, the yeah. coach was fired. They were losing game after game. Has and then you know, it's not that they won everything right away, but slowly but surely they have they've become a team. You know, to reckon with. I'm not saying they're a great team, but they're certainly a possible playoff team. Um, is Barubi has is it has it been a, that much of a difference? Just a new coach, or has he been a, a special kind of difference for this organization? Well, he's uh, you know, Peter Lawlett's system was a very attack basis and you know for for a while the flyers were were outscoring all their mistakes and sloppy play um, you know the, I, that was when they beat Pittsburgh in, in the 2012 playoffs I mean you know the scores of the games no no league was saved no deficit was was too much for, for either side really that was a little um, odd by the way that was a very yeah. Oh, yeah. In, the, in the playoffs and nowadays that was very odd it was it was a very strange thing you know and you know, Barubi kind of came in, and he had to. Even though he'd been an assistant coach that whole time, I mean, he had to come and and uh, tweak the system to a large degree and get players to buy into, um, you know, two-way responsibility. That took time. You know, they and for a while, the Flyers. You know, the Flyers slow start. I mean, listen, they started out at, at one seven and zero, and through the first fifteen game, through the first fifteen games of the year, they scored twenty-two goals as a team. Point four a game, so you know they couldn't put the puck in the ocean for a while. After Barubi came in, they were losing a lot of two to one games. Yes, you know after it was after they, uh, you know, after the fifteenth game, and since since that point, um, they've averaged around three point three goals a game. So over that span, they've been a much better scoring team. Now the defensive play, uh, you know, took a little bit of a step back, which I guess is to somewhat be expected. Um, and I mean the, the you know the blue line uh, at least prior to the addition of Andrew McDonald who's not a savior by any means but he's coming and he's helped you know, they don't have the most mobile blue line blue line group in the league that's that's to put it mildly but you know I think Ruby's come in and, and he's he's gotten players to take a lot higher degree of accountability so I think that if you look at at what the team has done particularly in the recent run that they've had you know where where they beat they swept Pittsburgh in a home and home and then they beat Chicago. And then they had a, a not very impressive win against Dallas, uh, and you know Barube was very unhappy after that game, uh, you know, and he really got on the team after after a win. And then they went out and they beat St. Louis in the next game, and St. Louis played pretty well too. Flyers just played one of their better games of the, the entire season and beat beat the Blues. I mean that that's a run of top teams, uh, cup contending teams. Now you know, they, this this week they they lost a tough one to Los Angeles where they came back from a two nothing deficit, tied it in the third period and then lost three to two, and then they they were not very good against the Rangers last night. But I, I think if you take his body of work on the whole of this season, you know uh, there are really only a, a couple of coaches this year. You know guys like Patrick Waugh, who I, I would bet a Barubi for a Jack Adams candidate this year. I think he's done a fine job. Michael, you jump in. Well, I was going to say, uh, um, you know. People have been talking about how uh, there's a, a bit of a three-horse race between Berube, Waugh, and uh, Babcock uh, for, for the Adams. I think Berube's got to take it. I mean, uh, if you look at the production of the Flyers since he came in and since he stabilized things, I mean, they're really arguably one of the best teams in the East if you exclude the first, you know, eight, eight to ten games of the season. Um, what I actually wanted to ask about was how do you feel about, uh, I guess, uh, or... or how much success has been derived from Barube's desire to, uh, I guess, change the matchup or change the deployment? You look at, uh, I was looking uh, on uh, Extra Skater, and, uh, you know, you look at uh, Voracek, Simmons, Giroux, Timonen. Offensively-minded guys are getting more matchups in the offensive zone. Has that been a big part of why, you know, Laviolette's system wasn't working? Maybe they were relying on Giroux and Simmons and even Hartnell, guys like that, in too much of a defensive role? Is it that, uh, I guess, Barube's... Read them up. 
Well, uh, you know, Berube, Berube, the Flyers had such an awful training camp this year. Um, they, they really did. And Berube was not happy with the conditioning of a lot of players. Um, game conditioning, you know, not, not, not muscle mass, but skating conditioning. And he spent easily, you know, easily the first six weeks constantly preaching better skating. Skate faster, think faster, you know, better decision making, better breakouts. Um, you know, I mean, they, they, Laviolette is a very attack minded coach. So, he, I mean, he would try to get, he would try to get the Giroux line out there as much as possible. And, and, and Sean Couturier's line is really the, the Flyers' shutdown forward unit. Um, they don't have a true shutdown defensive pairing. Um, I guess, you know, I, I guess Tiemann and Braden Coburn tend to play against other teams' best lines. But um, you know, but as a, as a, as a forward unit, you'll see the you know the uh, the Leafs top line, you know, the Bozak and and um, JVR and Kessel. We'll see a lot of Couturier tomorrow night. Couturier, you know, Couturier shut down Crosby uh, in both games, and then he then he shut down Jonathan Taves, you know, in successive games. Uh, he's really one of the best emerging shutdown forwards in the league, and one of the most underrated two-way guys in the league is Matt Reed. Uh, in terms of you know, in terms of getting those defensive matchups, they're the guys you're going to see out against other teams' best lines, and that does free up uh, the Giroux line to, you know, to think a little bit more offensively. But the other thing I would add to that is that one thing that uh, one thing that Berube has gotten Giroux to buy into, and in particular the Olympic break, has been setting more tone for the team. And the games where they've looked looked good, where they've been up on their skates and had a lot of puck support. Really, Giroux has, has been the guy who's been stirring the drink, you know, the straw that stirs the drink with that. And when the Flyers, when the Flyers get puck support and their forwards help out in the defensive zone, they they can play with any team in the league. When they start taking shortcuts, leave the zone early, and they're they're so worried about attacking, you know, the kind of the old mentality, they you know, they get into they get into trouble. They, they turn over a lot of pucks. They give up more than their share of odd man rushes, and a lot of those end up in their net. Sort of changing gears a little bit, um, Peter Laviolette was fired, I believe, after three games, uh, which were all losses. Um, you say he plays an attacking style. Leaf fans are dying for a new coach that might, um, I guess, instill more creativity into the Leafs lineup. Assuming that uh, the Leafs do miss the playoffs, assuming that there are coaching changes made because of that, is Peter Laviolette the sort of guy that you think could take a skilled offensive lineup like the Leafs that have a lot of good, fast scoring forwards and actually turn that team around? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Laviolette is is a you know is a coach who can come in and when you have when you have guys who like to play an up tempo kind of game and, and use creativity and you know move the puck along up the ice and uh, forecheck aggressively. I mean. You know, when the rest of the league was was sending you know one guy in the zone. I mean, sometimes sometimes the Flyers would get caught with three forwards forechecking. Sometimes it would go even a little bit overboard. Uh, and you know, I remember I remember after the Flyers lost to the Devils in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, Lavia like got defensive, no pun intended, uh, about his system and saying, well, has you know, an attack system has never won the cup. Attack systems because you know he won a cup with uh, with Carolina. He got. Islanders teams of the playoffs at a time you know when no one else was getting the Islanders into the postseason. He got the Flyers into the finals too. You know he he can get the most from players. Guys have career years for him. You know when when he first comes in, he, he's a very intense coach. I mean you know the uh, you know but I mean the Leafs are used to guys like Ron Wilson too, who, who really just just hammer away after after their players. You know Lavi. A lot of you will get on guys for mistakes. He'll defend them in public, but he will just, you know, guy a guy like Lavi or you know is a little bit like uh, like a Carlisle or a Ron Wilson in that he's he's pretty relentless on his players. He can he can wear on them after a while, but you know, but for for a little while he, he's a you know he, he he could definitely come in and help a team. Yeah. He certainly looks like I mean he certainly looks like more of a motivator uh, or, or or a better motivator. I'm not sure about his his uh, his sticking power certainly. Um, so you would you'd say that he might be the he might be the right fit to uh, to to bring back some respectability to the team, eh? Well, yeah, I do think. I mean, you know, you have you have personalities work with before. So you know, a, a guy like uh, a guy like JVR, for example. You know, um, Lavi had worked with him here in Philadelphia, and you know they they were you know they were occasionally at odds. Lavi would would really get on his case, but 
you know, I, I think that if you look at what JVR has done at certain times, you know, he, he can get as hot as anyone in the NHL for stretches of games. And in, in the 2011 playoffs when the Flyers got, you know, their butts handed them by uh, by the Bruins, Ben Reemsike was the one player who was effective in that series. You know, and I really, I really think, you know, I really do think that, uh, you know, that, that he might benefit from a coach like Laviolette or, you know, Castlewood as well. I think that... Uh, you know, I, I do think he's a guy who can come in and help for a while. I do. Bill, can I jump in here? One thought I had, because you and Michael were just talking about JVR, and clearly we're all aware of the, the trade, you know, a huge trade. Um, and I always thought, it, as a Leaf observer, that Luke Shen, um, I mean, by the end, the fans were frustrated, uh, you know, media was all over him. And I always thought it was highly unfair, because he's not the most mobile guy, but he was drafted, what, in the top five? Again, much like you said, Steve Mason, I mean, it, it, the Leafs, I think, uh, unwisely, Put him in the lineup. Played a lot of minutes as an 18-year-old when he he was big enough and phys and you know his body was big enough. But I think it was way too much too soon. And then they just got disappointed as the years went on. They didn't develop him properly. Lost confidence. Where is Luke Shen right now? I notice he's you know maybe a modestly positive or like a plus player in Philly, which probably shocks Leaf fans uh, who who you know didn't have a lot of regard for him. Uh, less than I did anyway, because I thought he was a physical presence and an earnest, hard-working defenseman. What is he right now? Is he kind of a 5-6 guy playing 16, 17 minutes a night? Does he contribute, or is he struggling? He is, uh, well, he, he's picked up his play, particularly since they brought it, since the Flyers brought in Andrew McDonald. Uh, last season, Shen was uh, was a, a, you know, one of the few positives in a year where the Flyers missed the playoffs. He spent a lot of the, he spent a lot of the last season on the on the top pairing with uh, Kimo Timonen, and you know, he he actually had he actually had a pretty good year last year for the for you know for relative to you know relative to his season before that in Toronto. You know, I, I think with Luke, the worst thing that ever happened to him was when when the hockey news called him the the next Adam Foot. It, it set expectations up to a level that were going to be very hard meat and particularly hard, as you said, as a teenage defenseman in the NHL. Um, you know, defensemen defensemen in particular. You know, you draft them at eighteen, you have to be you have to be patient with them, I think, for five years. Oh, yeah, you absolutely. You've got to wait about 23 to have a sense of what you're going to have in them. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, to give them all those minutes and all that responsibility right off the bat in, in a high-pressure market like Toronto, to me, was setting them up to fail. Um, you know, in, in Philadelphia this season, he really he got off to a, a, an awful start. I mean, all, all, he was one of the guys who, you know, he was, he was taking extra skating even before he was a healthy scratch in one game. And then it's recovered. Cut about seven, eight minutes a game by Barubi. He was not happy with him for quite a while. Um, slowly but surely, he's up a little bit. He's still only playing about 17 minutes a game there, about 17 and a half, which is I think about right for him. You play you play him as a five, you know, as a five or as a six. Then you know, then he then he's a solid, you know, he's solid in that role. As you said, I mean, he's he's a physical defenseman, not the most mobile guy. I think that I think where he gets in trouble sometimes. Is where he, he looks for the big hit and takes himself out of position. Yes. You know he, he doesn't have the speed to recover when when that happens, and sometimes he also gets in trouble. And it was a problem both with the Leafs and at times with the Flyers. You know when you when you have it when you have a group of forwards that, that they don't necessarily contain uh, opposing attackers through the neutral zone very well. So if they hit the blue line with speed, they're going to go right around them. Yes. You know if uh, if he has a little bit of containment, a little bit of support. He's big and strong, so he can ride. You know, he can ride his check into the wall. He can, you know, tie a guy up and be effective that way. As long as he's using that role and he's paired with a mobile partner like, uh, you know, like, like Andrew McDonald, he's fine. Is he? You know, was it a good trade for Philadelphia in terms of being worth a, a top line guy like JVR? I mean, I think if you look at value for value, JVR has given Toronto a lot more than Luke has given the Flyers. And you know, I, I think you know. The, the Flyers are looking for a right-handed shooting defenseman and, you know, a guy. So, I mean, that's why they made the trade. But I, I think I think so far, I don't think there's any doubt that Toronto's gotten more, more value to that role relative to what the Flyers brought in Luke to do. Last question for me, and then Michael can wrap it up with you, uh, Bill. Sure. Uh, what is there a Flyer that, you know, Lee fans, we know the Flyers reasonably well. We don't play them, you know, 20 times a year. But... Um, but the current roster is there? Is there one or two? Are there one or two guys rather who are you know flying? I like to ask our guests sometimes about opposition teams. One or two guys flying under the radar that are under 
that are impact players in their own quiet way that we, you know, as who follow mostly the Leafs, may not be aware of the contribution they make. You mentioned Reed earlier. Is he the guy, or are there a couple of other guys that come to mind? Not necessarily unsung heroes, just just solid sure. guys who bear watching. Sure, and uh, you know, Reed Reed has been in the NHL, of course, is his third season. A little bit of an older player signs a collegiate free agent. He's already been a 20 goal scorer twice, playing in a third line role, and very very solid defensively. He has a bunch of shorthanded goals this year. I mean, he would he would be that guy. Uh, the other guy as well is because everybody talks about. Giroux has been has been Wayne Simmons has been tremendous this year and tremendously consistent. Uh, you know he's been he's become one of the better net front uh, forwards on, on the power play in this league. Uh, he plays on the second line, but uh, you know he he's scored a, a lot of power play goals this year and really really he's been the other tone setter. You know as well as well as Giroux. So I would say you know I would say keep an eye on Simmons and Reed as as those two guys who might not jump off at you immediately but could you know, be game changers tomorrow. Michael. Oh, I think uh, I think we've uh, kind of uh, exhausted some of the uh, some of the angles. I was going to agree though. Uh, Wayne Simmons is uh, probably I'd, I'd take on the Leafs in a heartbeat. I think every team needs a Wayne Simmons type, that net front presence, a guy who can be nasty, uh, but a guy who can also skate and play play 200 feet. Um, but uh, I'd just like to say, Bill, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we uh, we've taken up a, a, a heck of a lot of your time, and we appreciate. Uh, be staying with us through the uh, technological struggles uh, that have been kind of going on uh, earlier on. Um, so thanks very much. Absolutely, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. And Bill, I just want to say, what's your Twitter handle? We we mentioned at the top you do a lot of writing for Hockey Buzz and of course NHL.com. But just share with you with everybody your Twitter handle because I know you're right on the on the cusp of 10,000 followers. It'd be great to help get you over the top. That uh, that would be great. It is uh, at Bill Meltzer, all one word, M-E-L-T-Z-E-R. That's perfect. Bill, as Michael said, thanks so much for, for sharing some insights about the Flyers. Should be a fun game uh, between the Leafs and the Flyers on Friday night. Thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime. So, Michael, I mean, it's, it's, it's always great to get, uh, as I just said, sort of a, a different perspective, right? We don't, we don't have it all, uh, you know, when we follow the Leafs and even those of us who follow, you know, the other teams as closely as we can. Um, Bill obviously, you know, has some inside knowledge that we don't have about the Flyers, so it was fun to chat with him. Anything surprise you, Michael? By the way, before we go on to our next guest, or was that um, was that kind of you know what you expected to hear from somebody who covers the the Flyers closely? Um, I mean, yeah, it, is, it was a bit. It was very similar to what I was expecting to uh, to hear. Um, I probably wouldn't have taken as uh, as diplomatically positive or uh, nice uh, a line on Steve Mason. I think he is. Uh, he is just, uh, and actually, our our next guest, uh, Eli Rassi, would be able to uh, chime in, I'm sure, on Steve Mason. Um, but I think I think that he's uh, kind of gotten by on uh, basically uh, one great one great rookie season, uh, a few great months here and there, and uh, also the fact that he's uh, that he catches with his right hand, and that makes him uh, a bit of a deceptive and uh, kind of something that, that's unexpected. It's a rare it's a rare sort of uh, trick uh, to see in in hockey. Most most guys catch left, so. Uh, I've never really been big on on Mason. I've never really believed the hype, and I kind of expected that to go on. But no, I, I think I think uh, uh, Bill otherwise provided a, a heck of a lot of great insight. I mean, uh, Wayne Simmons again, huge favorite of mine, um, and uh, as 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 well, looking at at Craig Berube, who, despite some interesting background uh, stuff around him, is clearly he knows how to coach. Uh, he clearly knows how to coach. Evidently. Eli Rassi, as Michael mentioned, is our next guest on the show, a junior A goalie coach and a longtime contributing writer with In Goal Magazine. Eli, thanks for coming back on the program. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. So Michael just touched on he torched Steve Mason, who I like a lot more than Michael. But uh, let's talk, though, more about the the Leaf goaltending situation. Uh, how do you break things down? I mean, the the even though the non-experts among us, like myself, have who really don't know how to assess goalies, other than you know we see what we see, we like what we like. Um, you know, Bernier has clearly you know been the man for the Leafs this year. Reimer had some very good games early in the season, spectacular performance uh, in a relief appearance against the Kings a couple of weeks ago. But by his own admission, not at all happy how he's played the last five games. Uh, but let's talk Bernier. I, I know he's been injured. He's just coming back. Uh, hopefully he's healthy. What have you seen in his game when he has been healthy that you can provide some assessment for our listeners? Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because I went back and watched the video uh, that we had in, in October. It was the first, it was the fifth episode actually, and 
you know, we kind of looked ahead to the season in terms of what we can expect. And I think uh, we all agreed that either way, the Leafs were going to get consistent goaltending, uh, strong goaltending from, from either one. And I think you'd be really hard-pressed to find somebody who, who wouldn't think that that's been the case up until this point. Now, um, you know, specifically with Bernier, he's he's been just that. I think he's been really consistent. I think he's... He's been uh, he's brought a, a lot of, of, of calm into the net, and I think uh, you know it's funny because we talked about it as well in terms of uh, how confident a, a team is when they uh, when they've got a particular guy in net, and at what point that happens. And I think that happened with the Leafs. I may be off a little bit, but I, I have a feeling just before the Olympic break, maybe November, December, you started to get the sense of they were just a different team with him in the lineup. They um, you know despite the the consistent struggles they had with, you know, puck possession and giving up a lot of shots, um, it didn't seem to bother them. And I think they knew it, 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 it wouldn't have mattered because they've got, they were getting good goaltending. Now, a lot of people along the way said, well, you know, that doing that will only get you so far. And it's, and it's kind of, you know, at this point, this, I mean, here we are, and here we are talking about goaltending with the Leafs, but, um, you know he's been he's been really good. He's uh, very athletic. Uh, I think he's he's done a lot of uh, he's he's made a lot of the big saves at the right moments. I think you can break down the the success that he's had over the year, and and I think it, you can look to timely saves, um, and you can look to um, really being uh, kind of the a turning point of a game in, in the sense that whenever something happened and and if they pulled out a victory, you can always look back and think like. You know, two, three, maybe four saves Bernie made were, were the difference at the end of the day. Uh, Michael, it sounds like Eli is suggesting that the Leafs, at some point, relatively early in the season or into the season, November, December, uh, just found a greater sense of calm and confidence around Bernier being in goal. Uh, do you, Michael, do you, did you do you have that same sense that 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 kicked in at some point along the way? I think, yeah, I, I have. Uh, I have seen that. I One of the, uh, if you look at the underlying numbers, and I don't have them in front of me, the Leafs tend to give up, I believe, something around four to five more shots per game when Bernier, sorry, when Reimer is in net than when Bernier is in net. And, uh, you know, one of the things that is, is really difficult is that for the most part, goalies can't control the number of shots they face in a game. Uh, I mean, certainly if you look at rebound chances or deflecting sure. it out of play, things sure. like that. But yeah. for the most part, it's, it's, it's the 18 skaters in front of them that are, are uh, you know, mitigating the number of shots they're going to see each night. And they give up fewer shots when Bernier is in net, despite the fact that he has that phenomenal, you know, record of being like 8-1-1 in 40-plus shot games or whatever. Um, I think, you know, you see that. I think as well, uh, some of it does come down to technique. Reimer's style has never instilled confidence. I mean, just watching it. I mean, yes, he makes the saves, but it looks frenetic. Bernier is a much calmer presence. Um, or he, he appears to be a much calmer presence. Uh, and I think that I think that, that shows through. I just think it's a, a, an interesting wrinkle because I don't know how that happens. Reimer has had provided so much to the Leafs, you know, for years prior and had working relationships with the vast majority of the room for infinitely longer, really, than Bernie. Bernie just kind of comes in and, and it's like, hey, cool confidence. Everything's fine, guys. I got this. And but I, think, I just think you said the key word, confidence, Michael. I think yeah. somewhere along the way, and, and I don't want to go through the same thing I've talked about for months, So, I, uh, but I'll, the 30-second the ver- or the 10-second version is from the moment he was called the other guy we inherited by Laiwiki, he knew his days in Toronto were numbered. So if confidence, you know, I don't care how confident an athlete you are, that, of course, impacts you, and eventually it wore down this season. I don't know, Eli, how you feel. You know, it's, yeah, you both, um, you're both the right, and I think, um, I, I don't. I don't really like to re- read too much, and be, you know, between uh, what coaches and players say in the media. I mean, I think for the most part, it's pretty generic and, and expected. But you know, when when Randy Lar- Carlyle said uh, after the the Detroit game that that Reimer was was just okay, um, you got to read between the lines there. And really, you know, when a coach says something like that, you know. You may as well just translate it to to being something like you know I wish we just got the saves that we needed when we needed them, and I think if you look at on the whole in that game, personally I don't think he played. I think I would agree with Reimer's assessment. Like I think he, yeah he played pretty good. 
for sure. But the difference was if you look at the other end and coaches, I guarantee you look at the other end in terms of what the other guy's doing. Howard came up with some really big saves and timely saves. In, now, and in the third period, and that's when Reimer yeah. struggled against Detroit, and that's where this all went south. It's, it's that, exact, and that's exactly that's exactly it. And then you know, as a goalie, it's it's very tough because then your confidence is, you start to, you know, you start to think of all of these things that you really have no control about. You can't control how the other guy is going to play, but yet you're thinking, you're comparing yourself, you're you're running through situations, save for save, well. You know, I I made that save, and you know, I I did just as well as he did in that situation. But at the end of the day, um, th that's the message that I got when I when I heard those comments. And you know, once they get thrown back at a goalie in the heat of the moment after a game like that, you know, you, you could see the emotion come out. And um, as a professional, I think you know, I I like Reimer. I, you know, I I I think he's a fantastic goalie. I think he's um, He's just going through a really rough stretch right now, and um, you know I think you know the, the as a goalie and as a coach you you get a sense and a feel for for how your players react to certain situations and in towards the end of or just recently actually past couple of weeks um, the fact that he hasn't found a way to rise above and 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 kind of be the difference it has. To me, it's it's not you can't look at it as ability. It's just it's really all between the ears and absolutely, you know, absolutely. And I'm just yeah. going to say, and I know Michael wants to jump in too. I think you're on the money. I mean, how do we know? But you know, you're a yeah. young professional in the field as a goalie coach. I see the same thing with Reimer. I think he was brilliant in the last two periods in Washington, and he yeah. was very good in the first two periods against Detroit after he had been outstanding in Los Angeles. That's Something right. went off the rails in the third period. He didn't make a couple of saves that arguably a lot of guys wouldn't have made. But as you say, coaches want goalies to make those saves in the third period. And after Carlisle made those comments, he has not been the same. Yeah. And people can say, oh, he's not mentally tough. Because I'm hearing people say, oh, you know, Reimer will never be the same again. I've seen, look, I've watched hockey for over 50 years. I've seen all kinds of young goalies go through exactly what Reimer is going through, precisely yeah. this. He should be fine. He is mentally tough, but this situation in Toronto has been bizarre. You go from yeah. number one to an this guy comes in from nowhere and is parachuted basically into the job. You're told it's a competition, but it really isn't. Everybody was just waiting to crown Bernier, which is fine. He is a really solid goalie. Yeah. The other guy just has to go somewhere else. They just have to. He has to find another home somewhere else. It's that simple, you know, and he'll be fine. And for me, it's unfortunate. Just before before Michael jumps in. Um, you know, Reimer's style, Michael made a good point. There's there's a, something to it. I kind of, from a technical standpoint, I like it. Um, in fact, it's kind of, you know, when I'm playing men's league now, it's kind of the way I play. And, and he is calm. There's a lot of structure. We talked about it earlier in the year. He's got a... In, in Bernier's style, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about Reimer's style. Reimer's style, okay. So the difference, though, the difference lately, and this is where you can tell uh, confidence um, shows itself... Uh, on the ice is you have to look back ever since that that game in Detroit and look at the way that Reimers tried to track the puck. Yes, and he hasn't been tracking the puck very well, and that to me that's a sign of just uncertainty. Just you know that's where the confidence starts to creep in because um, you know there's a couple goals that went in. I think it was a game against Montreal. Um, the first two, uh, the, especially I forget who it was down the wing beat him glove side. He just didn't look sure of himself. And normally, you know, I was texting one of the goalies on the on the team that I coach, and I said nine out of ten times, or even I would even say ten out of ten, that's a that's a shot that hits you square in the logo. I mean, your your defenseman is is forcing him a little wide. He's not going to cut to the middle. It's it's a shot. Um, so it's you, you got to look at the way they track, and and I think that that's part of the the recent struggles with Reimer's is his how his confidence has been impacted. And then you look at the way he started to track the puck recently, just not sure of himself, looking a little small in the net. All of those telltale signs that tell you that a goalie's not on his game. That's then, a great. That's a great. That's a tell. And and you just shared something important. Michael, please jump in on you. I know you got lots to offer on this. Well, I mean, I was gonna say one of the things that I found so confounding about the uh, the the Carlisle saying that Reimer's game was just okay is um, I've heard Brian Burke speak and and say about. When it comes to play, when it comes to something going wrong, just accept blame yourself. When it comes to something yeah. good, praise others. And I think that that's one of these issues where, yes, the the Leafs have done wrong by by Reimer in a lot of their treatment of him, 
But I mean, to go from savior to, to stepchild like this is just is just ridiculous. It just seems unnecessary and arbitrary. Um, but what I actually what I really wanted to uh, to get into um, was I guess some of the other key differences. The, the boys in the truck, as it were, uh, Declan and Alec are, are informing me that one of the key differences uh, to Jonathan Bernier is that he's big into into pre scouting uh, other teams. Um, how much of that, uh, Eli, do you think is a factor that apparently uh, Reimer is less interested in going to the defensive meetings, he's less interested in pre-scouting, so it goes from, uh, I guess, a comparison of anticipatory to reactionary goaltending, and how much of that might be playing a factor for Bernier's successes this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to, I think uh, I think it'd be fair to say that it's certainly helped him. I know, you know, even in just my experience, the, the amount of video that we do with the guys uh, we we run through five on five situations. We run through um, we run through you know uh, even strength. We we know where our defensive lapses might or may not be, and then you know we look at power plays against and and kind of prepare ourselves what to expect. I'm a big believer in the more you know the the better you're prepared. Now there's such a thing as over preparing, obviously, and there's you know paralysis by analysis, but to a certain degree, I think you you do need to be aware of um, your own team structure and and especially on on special teams because I think the game in certain situations is is kind of that's where you make or break um, yourself. But if you know if that is something that that Bernie has been doing all year, then you know surely it's it's helped. I I you know you'd have to go back and and really look at certain situations, but. There are some that I've noted where he's purposely put himself in a better situation to uh, stop a puck on, on odd man rushes. So, for example, there's certain players that you know are most, you know, more often than not are kind of pass-first guys. So you don't want to be overly aggressive on them because you know that they're not really going to take the shot. So you, got, you can look back and you can see, you know, he addresses, especially around his depth, he's very, he's got a very... Um, He's got a very good north-south game. It's something we alluded to a couple months ago. Um, but he's 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 really smart. I mean, he he never really has to overdo it. But you know, if that's the case, and yeah, credit to him being prepared because he's essentially put himself you know one maybe two steps ahead of the opposition. Well, and that's I mean, and that's that's clearly I mean clearly if you look at Bernier's results, they uh, they at least started the season with a somewhat fair slate of games, and and he took over. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Sorry, maybe he was called it a little bit more at first, but uh, he certainly has taken over and, and controlled it since. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, um, you know, sometimes no matter how well you prepare yourself, things are just going to happen. And, um, you know, especially I thought what I was really impressed with uh, the first game back from his injury, there was a really, there was a kind of a semi-broken play, but he ended up having to, to essentially do the splits going from left to right. And... Without hesitation, I mean, it was really quick, and I thought, you know, let's say he's not 100%, and let's say he's still, you know, laboring a little bit, if that's the case. I was really, you know, that, that, that save impressed me a lot because he didn't, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't labor. Like, he, he, there, there was no delay in his reaction. Now, you look back and, and some of the goals that happened afterwards, and, you know... There was that one, there was the Bacchus' first goal off, uh, yeah. off that brutal Finuf turnover on the power play... Yeah, I shouldn't. I mean, I what he he either should have, you know, put put the pads together in, in standing. I mean, he just he just got caught. He looked flat footed like that. So ba yeah, and that's a, yeah, that's a funny thing though because Bacchus has, has a Bacchus has a unbelievably fast release, and he caught Roberto Luongo, you know, flat footed in a breakaway, put a right five hole. That was that you know infamous picture of Luongo looking through his legs like you know where where did it go? But he's got he's got a great release. It's really quick. Now, you know, I don't know if Bernier read it, you know, properly or not, but yeah, you're right. I mean, in a situation like that, you've, you know, snap your, your knees to the ice hard and it's a full butterfly that hits you, you know, dead center. You know, I don't know, like, you know, Martin Biron uh, made a good point on, on, on Twitter after, which is why I, I, you know, maybe think he may not be 100% is his, his safe selection was a little bit off. He, you know, started to just drop to one knee to the ice is his right leg, which he he does anyway. I mean, he's part of his style is um, it's part of a it's a technique a safe, a safe selection that's part of his repertoire. But um, 
you know, he's, uh, it's funny because it's, you, I, I started following a lot more Leafs fans on Twitter and I got into this whole advanced stats thing and, and I've learned a lot because of it, but it's almost like the, the shots are being called, right? And then now is the point where everything's kind of falling apart the way that certain people have, have predicted. And the only thing left to save the Leafs in it recently anyway has been goaltending, right? And it hasn't happened, and so people start to blame the goaltending. But then you can't. You got to look at all of the mitigating factors prior to that, right? And and as a coach, you know when you when you as a coach when you when you blame your goalie in a situation that you shouldn't, it means you're really trying to cover up from from the mistakes of the whole, right? The roster, the structure, everything. Um, you can blame a goalie for having a bad game and, and you know letting in some really cheesy goals. That's fine because more often than not, they know before you that it was their fault. Well, and I mean, case? if you play enough games, you know, you, if you're going to let in 70 goals in a season, not all of them are going to be, no. you know, not all of them are going to be Alex Ovechkin one-timers. You know, exactly. it's not going to be. Yeah. Um, actually, what I wanted to uh, to ask though, uh, Eli. In baseball, it's a quick, really quick uh, prep on this one. In baseball, when you have a starting pitcher, you try to uh, work him into the lineup, uh, whether it's through the minors, in even in the bigs, you try to manage his minutes. Um, yeah. So this is a Bernier question in the sense of Bernier's now played about basically what double his entire, uh, you know, any his, his season best. He's played more than double the minutes, faced probably triple the shots uh, than than any of his previous years. How much of the of that is a concern in that, in that, again, similarly, you need to season pitchers in baseball and get them more and more hours and more and more you know, innings pitched. How much of it is that, they, that the Leafs have kind of really thrust this guy beyond either his athletic threshold or what, I guess, what are the, uh, some of the, the, the physical consequences? I mean, because this is a guy that is getting now far more of a workout far more often than he's ever had in his entire career. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's interesting because I thought um, just you know, on my own, talking with friends and stuff, I, I thought, you know, I didn't think the split in games would happen so soon. I thought that they would they would better manage um, the workload and the schedule at least well past the Olympic the Olympic break. Um, so, you know, let's say for the sake of argument, you know, by the end of February, right, or middle of February, you would see, okay, you'd have to say, all right, you know, we're going to go with this guy and, and we're going to, you know, give him the, the bulk of the, the the games going the rest of the way into the playoffs or, or, or what have you. Um, I think, you know, it, the Olympic break helped. I mean, you see a lot of guys unwind, completely unplug and, and get away from the game. And I, I'm not sure what Bernie did during that point, but I'm, I'm sure it helped. Um, but the physical toll, I'm not so much, it's not so much for me the physical toll that uh, that I would concern myself with because assuming as they are professional athletes they're probably in far better shape than you and I <laughs> but it's more the mental the mental side of it um, you know day in and day out uh, you know like I, I goalies are really self-aware knowing that you've got to be the guy to um, you've got to bring your a game every single night. As much as it is a challenge, and, and guys really thrive on that pressure, um, it's really tough to sustain consistently, you know, night in and night out. Um, you know, credit, I, you know, again, both of them, they've done a great job up until this point. I, I, I can't, you know, I don't think anyone really could say, oh, leaf goaltending has been the issue. It, it really has not. Um, so more than anything for me it's the mental side um, you know you really start to feel the weight of of performance or or, well, or needing that, to perform I mean, on your shoulders mental fatigue and mental fatigue yeah. i mean you know bernier never bernier never had to be the guy or rather in the last you know in, in, in his professional career not since he was in in, uh, in in the AHL he hasn't had to be the guy that's right uh, and now he is and i mean that of course that would be i mean i guess even more so than having to do more you know, go down to your knees more often than you're you're expecting. Um, you know, it, it's it's far harder. Um, and you're and I was gonna say, you know, you're right. Uh, the Leafs are getting, I think, nine nineteen team goaltending right now. I mean, it's not it's not on it's not on those guys. They've done everything. Um, Mike, uh, do you have any other uh, questions that you no, want? I think it's time to wrap it up, Michael. 
Certainly, yeah. I mean, uh, Eli, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share or anything like that uh, before we uh, we sign off? No, I think Eli. Well, let's let's thank Eli and and cut him loose, and then we'll wrap up. Eli, listen, that was great. Again, as before, we appreciate not only your insights, but but a, a real good outsiders, but a professional perspective. Uh, you've been listening to those following this particular hangout. Uh, Michael and I chatting with Eli Rassi, a longtime junior A goaltending coach. Um, and also a contributing writer for In Goal magazine. Thanks for joining us, Eli. Very Thanks, good guys. stuff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good care. one. We'll have you on again. And, Michael, listen, we'll wrap up quickly. Uh, we, know, we know the schedule over the next, you know, was it 72 hours, right? Uh, we know there are two big games. So, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. We're like the players at this point. We can talk all we want. <laughs> it doesn't really matter yeah, what exactly. we say. It's like that loophole comment. We've been out chancing them, and that doesn't matter. We just have to win now. Yeah. I mean, so you know what? It's just, you know, Al Davis, win, baby, win, and it's time. Eight games to go. As I sort of, you know, half-heartedly said at the outset, maybe this is what they've been waiting for. Now they'll get serious. Well, it's time to get serious. You know what, though? I mean, this would be, this would be, I guess, uh, if you're writing, if you're writing narratives and if you're writing stories, making the playoffs in a last gasp fashion on the heels of some big win streak is, is it sells papers. Um, and I mean, it's also been. You know, the Leafs have really been bolstered already this season by hot streak to start the season, hot streak, uh, you know, by at mid-January into the Olympic break. Yep. Can they do it one more time? I mean, can, uh, you know, can the sinusoidal curve that is the Leafs season tick back up? And you know what? We would forget, fans would forget all about this losing streak if they finish the season strong, make the playoffs, because it's the same, all the cliches, brand new season, and it's true, and it's true. Yeah. Two, two weeks ago, we were talking about third overall in the East. So, you know what, it, it's not over till it's over. And uh, the Leafs just need to win a game and then a couple, and who knows what's going to happen. So, Michael, listen, thanks. I want to, I wanna, you know, both our guests tonight were fantastic. Bill Metzer from NHL.com and Hockey Buzz. Eli Rassi, you know, goaltending coach and writer for In Goal Magazine. And yourself, as always, for the great contribution on the program. This has been episode what? Please remind me. 28. Something like 28. Sounds good to me. I'll take your word for it. Listen, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the Hangout, and, and if the Leafs make the playoffs, we hope to continue to provide some, uh, if not stimulating, at least some, some somewhat worthwhile conversation about the blue and white as they, as they chase the hopes of the playoffs and maybe something a little bit better than that. Thanks again, Michael. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Go, Leafs, go. Take care, everybody. Good night.